0: Welcome to No Hype, the podcast about truth, science, and the future of marketing, brought to you by your hosts, Allison Dietz
1: and Brett Hops.
0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to No Hype. We're actually going to do something unique here at No Hype this time around, and we're going to share a multi part series about our Brave New Worlds 2023 event in Chicago. So, what is Brave New Worlds? For those of you who are not familiar, it is a marketing and industry event that we host annually that focuses on the biggest evolutions and the disruptions in the marketing world. And the things that people are doing in the industry to address those changes. This, the fourth year of Brave New Worlds, is actually showcasing dozens of leading executive minds in the marketing and analytics world from the top brands, the top agencies, media owners, platforms, and consultancies. Some of the incredible speakers included Melissa Grady Diaz, CMO of Cadillac, Crystal Wallace, Chief Growth Officer at Canesso, Lou Pascalis, former SVP at Bank of America. Donna Special, President of Advertising Sales and Marketing at Televisa Univision, just to name a few. And over the last four years, we've attracted over 8,000 attendees, and all of them have been virtual. But this year was really the first year ever to do an in-person Brave New Worlds event. So we've decided to translate the sessions to audio so that you can join us and listen to these incredible sessions as well. So I'm going to let Brett introduce our first speaker.
1: Thanks, Allison. So first, I'll talk about Joanna O'Connell, who keynoted day one uh, in a session called New Rules for What's Next, the Consumer is in Control. Uh, And for those of you who don't know Joanna O'Connell, she's been in the industry for a long time. She started at Avenue 8 Razorfish. She was the CMO of MediaMath, and she ran advertising research at Forrester Consulting, Forrester Research, uh, before most recently joining R3 as EVP of innovation. She was on an earlier episode of No Hype. I encourage you to check that out. Uh, And she's a frequent speaker and contributor to the industry conversation. And the session she ran, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, Allison, really set the stage for a very successful Brave New Worlds 2023, um, where she really set out how marketers need to rethink what good advertising and good marketing looks like? Uh, And this is really a balancing act, a balancing act between customer obsession and what that really means uh, and the face of data deprecation and consumer privacy and how do they balance trying to be customer first in their marketing strategies uh, with some of the challenges that we're seeing. And I thought she did a terrific job uh, illustrating and using some very specific use cases and examples to really bring this down to earth. Um, and establish what what brand marketers uh, and others in the industry can do to really better serve the needs of us human beings that are receiving this advertising uh, on the other side of the screen, so to speak. So Allison, what were some of the key takeaways that you think resonated most from Joanna's keynote?
0: Yeah, wow. Well, I mean, Joanna, every time she speaks, it is so incredible to listen to her. She tells such a great story. And this presentation that she did was in particular was really interesting because she talked a lot about the customer obsession. And I think it seems pretty obvious to most marketers. Yeah, of course, most brands should be customer obsessed. But she talked about how those, those brands that are actually truly customer obsessed have happier customers, you know, 1.4 times more likely to trust the brand and more revenue over two times more revenue for those brands that really are customer obsessed. The description that she provided was really about wrapping your arms around the customer and how brands can really do that. And I thought that was so fascinating.
1: And she also mentioned that only 10% of brands really operationalize this notion of customer first strategies. And part of the reason being that there's disparities or lack of alignment within the organizations themselves. I think she quoted um, CEOs, you know, something like 90% of CEOs Think that their pricing, promotion, packaging strategies are heavily uh, influenced and guided with sort of a a customer first lens. Yet their CMOs only agree at about a 57% clip. So there's clearly some misalignment between the marketers actually doing the job on the ground and the sort of values. And and that the, that the CEOs are quoting to the street, so to speak. So I thought that was pretty interesting to say. Well, hey, there's this isn't clear. This is clearly not working perfectly, uh, and we need to make improvements in in how we operationalize um, quote unquote customer first strategies and and what that looks like. And there are some very good examples to to support that claim.
0: Yeah, it's hard work. I mean, that's really what she describes. And I think she gives some really great suggestions and some good visualizations about how brands can really think about that strategically. So you know, if you haven't caught it on demand, I definitely encourage you to, to watch it. But since you're listening, I think we'll go ahead and pass it over to Joanna so she can share with you all of her key insights.
2: Hi guys. Yeah. Thanks so, uh, thanks so much for having me. This is actually my third time with the Brave New Worlds um, event and and my first time in person, and it's so nice to see actual human beings. I was talking into a green screen last with a green screen behind me last time, so this is a, a massive um, a, a massive improvement. Um, <clears throat> so, I think some of these things are going to be things that probably feel really familiar to you guys if you've heard heard me talk about this stuff before. But I'm going to keep talking about it because it still feels like we're in this moment of being just a little bit stuck in terms of kind of really, truly rethinking what it means to be data-driven marketers and reframing what it means to be what Forrester would call my former employer, customer obsessed. All right, so I'll start with this. It may seem like a truism. First of all, a truism is not just a true thing. It is a stupidly obvious thing. That's what that mean word. That's what that word actually means. So it might seem stupidly obvious, but it cannot be overstated that brands win by being customer obsessed. Now, my former employer, Forrest, talked a lot about the age of the customer. And I think Matt set us up by talking about a world, and Michael, a world where consumers are in control. It's never been more true than ever, and we know it as consumers. So what Forrester did a lot of time, uh, spent a lot of time thinking about was, what does it mean to be an organization that essentially wraps itself around the customer? And they would say that customer-obsessed organizations are gonna be the winners. This is actually a quote from, um, from an article talking about this notion. And it found that uh, customer obsessed businesses were experiencing two and a half times higher revenue growth than those who weren't customer obsessed. And customers were 1.4 times more likely to trust a customer obsessed brand. So, who wouldn't want that, right? Who doesn't want happier customers and more revenue? Here's the reality, and, and I don't want to seem naive. The reality is that this is extremely hard. This is much easier said than done. Um, So again, back to my former colleagues at Forrester, my my friend Char said, um, after doing a lot of research on this, that really, truly uh, customer-obsessed organizations were by far the exception, around 10% of organizations. So then you sort of have to ask yourself, okay, why? Well, a few things are going on here. A big one, I think, is lack of strategic clarity People will talk about customer obsession as something that they are investing in, but they don't actually create clarity inside of their organizations as to what that means. And I'm sure you've probably felt this in your day-to-day job. You wanna serve the customer, but you don't have an understanding of how that applies to you in your role, which basically means you're not all moving in the same direction. Let's also be honest that there's a lack of real desire to change because change is hard. People want, to reap the benefits, but they don't wanna do the hard work. Short-termism continues to plague us, and I think we can appreciate why. I'm sure we feel that every day in our jobs. I need the results now. Just run the damn retargeting campaign and get me the conversions. And confusing, and this is a really interesting one, confusing CX with customer obsession. So, oh, I have a CX organization. They're taking care of it. No, no, no. The CX organization is, is responsible for a specific set of things. It's a discipline. It is not necessarily a mindset, an organizational mindset. So just to drive the point home, this is really gonna depress you guys. 90% of CEOs indicate that their focus on customers guides their brand, product, and pricing strategy. 50%, 7% of B2C CMOs feel the same. You know what that's called? Lack of alignment. I think that's also called, they care about different things. And that's a really important and interesting one. Because if I've convinced you of nothing else, it's that customer obsession needs to be something that permeates an organization from the very top. There needs to be alignment. There needs to be clarity. There needs to be governance. There needs to be practical rules for people to follow every day. Okay, as if that wasn't bad enough. I think a lot of us would say that we have been pursuing in our own day-to-day jobs, customer obsession, in our data-driven advertising since the beginning of advertising. But it turns out we were totally fucking wrong. (laughs) We were wrong. We've been messing it up since the beginning. It turns out what we thought made customer-obsessed advertising actually made creepy, horrible, scary advertising, and it turned consumers off. And we're living in a moment where that chicken is really truly coming home to roost right now. Okay, these are the best. Are you ready for some amazing tweets? Okay, number one. <laughs> I bought pomade on the internet and all targeted ads try to sell me different brands of pomade. I don't think I should be alone right now. I'm very scared. <laughs> it's getting a little freaky with the personalized ads. Help me, heck no. Mark, you've been called to help. Help me, Mark. Me, I'm not paranoid, also me. Why are all my targeted ads from dreams I had last night? (laughs) Okay, so clearly we're not reading people's dreams. I mean, I I don't think we're reading people's dreams. Although if you told me that you wanted to, I wouldn't be surprised, because that's what we do in data-driven advertising. No, we're not reading people's dreams. But if that's what they think we are doing, Clearly, we are doing something wrong. This is not a great consumer ad experience. Which, I mean, I can't even decide which one's my favorite. They're all so amazing. Okay, so what I think we need to appreciate is that we're at a moment in time that requires that we recognize that we need to think differently. We have moved squarely into an era of consumer privacy front and center. And there are a whole bunch of things happening right now that are converging that we need to pay attention to and we need to appreciate that these things converging tell a much larger story than any one of them individually. The legislative and regulatory environment. It's messy, it's complex, it's ever-changing. At the state level, all kinds of things are happening. Consumers taking privacy-protecting actions themselves. Brave, for example, which is a privacy-first browser, has hundreds, no, 50 million or so users now. That's a significant number, if you think about it. Consumers leaning into a browser that is designed to be privacy first. Browsers and device manufacturers, limiting or deprecating signals, like cookies, mobile ad IDs, that frankly all of us rely on every day to do the things that we do. And finally, the walled garden phenomenon, which I think we've sort of traditionally thought of as an. Uh, a Facebook and Google problem is becoming much, much more ubiquitous as big platforms and publishers recognize that not only do they need to kind of protect their consumers and protect their data, but there's business opportunity that is created by being more closed in terms of the data and consumers that they have. So I can't stress enough how important it is that we appreciate that these are very profound forces individually but even more profound when they're taken together. Because what it means is that we are really, truly at a moment of having to think differently about what data-driven marketing needs to mean and what customer obsession needs to mean. Because clearly we're not getting it right. So it starts with very (laughs) squarely, I made this, isn't that great? It starts with very squarely rejecting this as a find-replace moment. I have been in this industry for a long time. Matt's right, I mean, I started my career at Avenue A when I was like 23 in January of 2000, so now you know how old I am. And I was using one of the very first buy side ad ad servers to do um, do, um, uh, my campaign trafficking, to do my measurement, to do my optimization. I was using data that was coming out of that stuff and I thought it was so genius that we could do this kind of stuff. But it was all based on our ability really to target, track, measure people, browsers, people. It was about kind of following people around and being able to understand their behaviors and what that meant for our campaigns. And I think because we have these ideas about what good is supposed to look like because we grew up with these ideas, We think that what we need to do is simply replace them with new ones that look basically the same. And that's gonna be our downfall if we do that. That's gonna be our downfall. Being customer obsessed has to mean something different, a new set of default settings for us. I know Michael used the words transparency and choice, respect for consumers' wishes, actively or passively expressed, demonstrating every day that you value and appreciate consumers, and that you understand that you have to earn their loyalty, their trust, and their business for the long haul. Those aren't just words. They actually mean we have to think and behave differently. Okay, so for me, it's really about reframing marketing as an ongoing process of thoughtfully earning your way into consumers' lives over time. So I had this thing at Forrester that I called the sliding scale of relationship intimacy, which sounds really dorky, but the point was to say, if you're doing prospecting, you shouldn't show up with a dossier of information on somebody and be like, I know you, I know all about you. I'm your very best friend. Because you're not. (laughs) You wouldn't show up to a blind date with a dossier of information, right? It's about creating moments of respectful relevance being respectful, finding moments, rather than chasing people around. It's about pulling a consumer, th- consumer through engagements that are built on their terms. And it's about getting it right every time once you've earned the right to be in their lives. It's like just it's language that we're just not used to using. Okay, so how to do that. Are you guys with me so far? Are you totally depressed? All right, good. Am I convincing you though? Good, okay, good. And by the way, I I just, I wanna be really clear. I've been doing this a really long time. These were all my default settings too. I'm not up here saying that I somehow magically knew all along that we were doing it wrong. I was running giant retargeting campaigns. I was running CPA programs. I was doing all of that. I was buying, you know, at, at an impression level. I was, you know, trying to frequency cap. I was using multi-touch attribution. All the things. I was buying the audience targets. All the things that folks do. I was doing. I believed in those things. I'd been taught to believe in those things. So I just I want want you to appreciate that I didn't come to this easily. I came to this through the process of research, and really trying to understand how consumers felt about advertising, really trying to understand what these forces meant, and that they were bigger than Google announcing that they were deprecating the third-party cookie. Okay. Just so you don't think I'm like just fully on a soapbox. (laughs) Like it really truly is, it is hard one for me. I just see that if we don't make these changes now in how we think and how we act, it's going to get worse not better, and nobody wants worse. We want better. We want better marketing as consumers. We want better marketing as marketers. So I want us to embrace this moment. Okay, first, invest in a deeper understanding of your consumers to demonstrate that you're listening to them. This is really about challenging the conventional wisdom when it comes to consumer segmentation. You know, you buy the audience target You run the basic campaign with the basic ad creative. Does that really demonstrate that you've taken the time to get inside of their heads and understand what matters to them? I would argue no. So this is from Accenture, this is really interesting. What they did is they looked at an econometric model, they built, excuse me, they built an econometric model of customer loyalty using global consumer survey data from a couple of years, 2020 to 2022, to kind of understand what consumers cared about. And then they bumped it up against an NLP analysis of company earnings call transcripts. Oh, that hurts a little bit, doesn't it? (laughs) So you can't say that you care about trust as a bank with a straight face if you're not talking about it at all in your (laughs) earnings calls. But you know what customers of banks care about? Trust. So interesting, right? It's like this great divergence between what customers say they care about and what these banks are on the street actually talking about. And I'm not picking on anybody individually, but I think you get my point. It means that we don't really have a rich enough understanding of what matters to our customers. Okay, second. Sorry, this is a little bit of an eye chart. But what I was trying to do here, and this is work I was doing at my previous employer that I think really helped me rethink this notion, some of these notions like addressability and personalization. What I was trying to do is help people understand that we've grown up with this idea of right person, right message, right time. And that is really a beautiful idea. Like that's not a bad thing to wanna pursue. But if we're honest, we've sort of turned that into addressable always has to equal one-to-one. And in practical terms, it means that we chase people around, whether we have the right to do it or not, whether they want us to or not. So this future that I'm talking about where these forces are at play is not gonna let you do that anymore, even if you wanted to. You don't get to do that anymore. Individual addressability is going to be much more rarefied and that is not a bad thing, and I believe the TransUnion crew would agree with me, that is not a bad thing. It's when you have the right and the permission to have that conversation with an individual that you will be able to do it. That is not your entire marketing program. It's rarefied. In fact, it's not just your customers where you have the right and permission. It's also publishers, when they have the right and permission Finding those people out in the world is gonna be about the nexus between your known customers and publishers known customers. That's not your whole marketing plan. There's all this other amazing stuff that you're going to need to use to be able to run a full purchase lifecycle marketing program. Yes, it means relationships with publishers. It also means thinking about audience definitions differently, modeling contextual, the thing that we sort of forgot about somewhere along the way, that has an enormous amount of value, and by the way, a lot of scale. So the point here is to say that if you think that great marketing must be individual addressable, uh, individually addressable every time, you're thinking too narrowly about what great marketing should look like. And maybe on a, on a, on a similar note, this idea of personalization is another one that really, I have sort of had to challenge my own thinking on. We love using the word personalization as though every consumer wants personalization. Guess what, they don't. Consumers are highly variable, and I know this from research. One person might be really comfortable with the data economy sharing data to have personalized experiences. Another who knows just as well how it works might not want that at all. That's okay. We need to appreciate that and respect that so that we're delivering something that is relevant to them where they get to define what relevance means. Relevant feels better to me. It feels less creepy. It feels like less like we're invading people's dreams and more like we're trying to do what they want us to do, be what they want us to be in the moments that matter to them. Okay, next one. To that end, you have to ask yourself, are my messaging and content strategies up the task of pulling rather than pushing? We are so bad at this in advertising. We're so bad at it. I love this example so much. This is a really simple example. This is Bear Paint, and in this case, they worked with IBM Watson Advertising that had built this sort of conversational ad building platform. Such a simple example. So let's pretend this is a prospect. Rather than being like, hey, Joanna, I know you, and I know that your favorite color is yellow, and I know that you want to paint your living room because I know everything about you. <laughs> They're like, hello, stranger. Let's find your perfect color. Hey, let's find the perfect bare shade to bring your interior paint project to life. What space do you want to paint? You pick. Okay, so let's figure out how you want your room to feel. Give us some moods. Cool, okay, thanks. Share in your own words. What do, you want this to, what do you want this to achieve? Like, What's the vibe that you're looking for in the room? I want my bathroom to feel spa-like. Who would not want a spa-like bathroom? Okay, cool. Then the answer we think, for you, is surfboard yellow. Okay, in technical terms, what's happening here? This is powered by conversational AI, and it's a zero-party data-gathering exercise. But for the consumer, it's just like a nice ad experience that's tailored but not presumptuous. I use this example because, and I've used this example before, because it's so rare, it's so rare to find live examples of this kind of conversational style, choose your own adventure, draw a consumer in, learn by giving style of advertising. All right, the next one. And I say this full well knowing that TransUnion has had me here today, which I really appreciate. Now is a great time to ask yourself, is the village that I have constructed, technology partners, publisher partners, agencies, ad tech vendors, martech vendors, are they the right partners to be able to help you build this sustainable future? Do they have the right connection points into first party data sources through, say, publishers? Are they investing in the right integrations Are they above board when it comes to consumer data collection? Do you feel good about their practices? Do they belong in your village? Because frankly, we all know that partner ecosystems can grow organically. That can often mean that there's gaps, there's redundancies, and probably there are problem children in the mix that don't belong. And now is a really, really, really good time to start asking yourself, if I'm building this new model of customer obsession where it's not about what I want from the consumer but how I create sustained relationships with consumers over time, who are the partners that belong in the boat with me and who are the ones that don't? Okay. This is kind of an interesting one. Because again, I know some of what I'm saying can feel a little bit naive or a little bit trite, except that I've really given this a lot of thought and I don't see a path forward that isn't you know, involving these things. Great, customer obsession sounds great, I appreciate that. But I also appreciate that you guys are in the business of driving business. So how do you balance the needs of the customer with the needs of your business? And it's actually about having a framework of decision making that allows you to balance the needs of the customer with the needs of the business. Constantly looking for that balance in decisions big and small. How do you make decisions that are a relatively low lift for you as an organization, but have outside benefit to the consumer? Because you can't just give them everything that they want. We're very needy and we're very greedy. And we're lazy, let's be honest. So if you can find ways to give them things that are valuable to them without giving away the farm, you're making good business decisions that are good for your consumers. So here's an example from from my former colleague, Maxi. I love this framework. I think it's so smart. Ally Bank, during COVID, recognized that a, a preponderance of their customers were suffering with overdraft fees. It was onerous on them. It was difficult for them to manage. It was just generally a terrible experience for them when they were already going through an incredibly difficult time. What Ally realized is by just turning off overdraft fees, which for them was a very small source of revenue, they could provide economic value to their customers. They could provide functional value by making the process of banking simpler and less stressful. They created exper- experiential value by doing things like you know, getting rid of notifications around overdraft fees that are just annoying and stressful and scary. And they created real symbolic value, which is to say, Ally cares about me as a consumer, and that matters to me. And it didn't cost Ally very much. And actually, they wrote, it's now permanent. They made it permanent because it had such value to the consumer without being hard for them to do. That's just an example. But it's like looking for those kinds of moments that I think really matter. And then finally, and this one is I think really hard for all of us to swallow, because again, a lot of us have been working in this industry for a long time. We are used to (laughs) granular log files. We are used to the notion of perfect bottoms up multi-touch attribution. We are used to the idea of perfect frequency camping and frequency management. We are used to the idea of building beautiful sequenced omni-channel experiences for for consumers. Like these are the things that we are used to thinking represent great. The problem is, and I said this earlier, we're moving into a world of less ubiquity of data, a world where signal is getting lost by design, a world where data is more fragmented and more walled off. So we have to start thinking about what great needs to look like for things like measurement, for things like audience building, for things like fre- frequency management in a world where that is our data reality. The answer to me feels like science, <laughs> math. It's about investing in data science. It's about investing in model modeling where data is sparse, in pattern analysis, in data sampling, in more sophisticated analytics to drive ob- objective decisioning in a world where data is fragmented and sparse, and I just don't think that we are fully flexing those muscles yet. And it feels like such an opportunity, if, if ever there was a time, it feels like it's now. And actually, I know that so the the New Star T U crew do some really interesting work with MMA um, around um, uh, around sort of best measurement frameworks and how to drive business results through kind of more sophisticated measurement frameworks, uh, how to drive better results through more sophisticated notions of audience building, all kinds of really interesting things. In partnership with those ideas, and I don't have it in here but I'll just throw it out there, is organizational design. How do you make sure that you have the right people in place with the right skills in place and the right right cross-functional collaboration in place and freedom with guardrails for them to start being able to do things that are different and think differently. So I'm totally out of time because I've been up here waxing poetic. Also, I blame the pickle. Um, But just to (laughs) recap, we had that whole pickle snafu. But just to recap, it's about listening to your consumers rather than assuming that you know who they are. It's about challenging some traditional notions, really, really long-held notions around things like addressability and personalization. It's about making the term value exchange more than two words. It's about assessing your partner ecosystem not just for the bells and whistles that they have or how little or how much they cost you, but are they partners that will sustain for the long term given this new reality. It's about constantly assessing and reassessing win-wins through the lens of both what's good for uh, for you and what's good for your consumer. And it's about up-leveling and upskilling and investing in things like data science and AI because they are the future. So with that, such a bummer. I'm always such a bummer. Um, with that, I'm gonna say thank you. Yay. I, 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 you know, I, I wish I could tell you I have perfect tactical examples of how you do every one of these things. I don't think we do yet because we're, ha- we're writing the rules right now. And so this is about thinking differently. So I hope, at minimum, I've helped challenge some of your thinking so that this notion of the consumer being in control and this notion of customer obsession and this notion of privacy first can feel as though they're moving in the same direction rather, as be- rather than being at odds with one another.
1: Well, that was awesome. Joanna's always uh, a good speaker to start an event. Uh, she's done this multiple times at Brave New Worlds over three different events over the last four years, and uh, we were thrilled to have her a part of the 2023 Brave New Worlds event. And if you want to check out her session on video, you can go to bravenewworlds.transunion.com uh, and it is available on demand. I thought she did a terrific job of balancing a lot of pretty heady topics Uh, in a way that was compelling and really framed the the rest of the event. Um, So for more sessions on No Hype from Brave New Worlds 2023, uh, stay tuned to your favorite podcast listening channel, Spotify, Apple, or otherwise. We'll be releasing these continuously over the next couple of months. Um, Multiple sessions from multiple speakers, panels, and keynotes, etc. cetera.